hello and welcome to the No Holds Barred Witchcraft podcast. Now, we need to give you a little warning at the moment because today we're going to be talking about art, a little bit about Greek art and such, so this may get a little bit raunchy. So for those of you at home that are, what is the term that they that they say, <laughs> the frigid sort, <laughs> you may not want to listen to this episode. Okay, that means you go, off you go, bye, bye. Okay, so why do Greek statues of those ripped gods all have little willies? What's up with that, Chris? Why do they have such little willies? That's what everyone wants to know. You're the classicist. You say. You explain. Well, it's about... It's it's about... <laughs> little Greek willies. Little Greek willies. We'll name the episode that. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's about a different understanding of masculinity. So, whereas you have in the Egyptian world, you have the phallic, uh, it's always an erect penis that is there for fertility. Until the Victorians came and chopped them all off. Exactly. Um, Then you kind of all turned, just knocked them off and you just got holes where they used to be. Um, Whereas with with, uh, Greek masculinity, it's not about that. So actually in some ways that kind of small... (laughs) smaller tighter package was not part of the part of the equation um whereas actually yeah compared to the egyptians who were all about you know full-on uh rogering yeah a lot of people don't think that do they that the egyptians were quite uh, an erotic people but that's mainly just because of the the era which a lot of egyptology comes out of which was the victorian era in the west is where we did a lot of made a lot of discoveries and things but yeah and the victorians were prudes yeah. so they hid everything you know in the british british museum is <laughs> locked away is one of the biggest biggest collections of pornography of the ancient kind in the entire world um and that's mostly the stuff that was got out during the um you know birth of archaeology in the victorian period um and there's, the only, there is one item on display, um, a little silver vessel, I've suddenly forgotten the name of it, um, that actually has, you know, two men sat together in this kind of homoerotic scene um, where there are literally hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these scenes, um, but they're, they're not on public show. Yeah, but you haven't answered the question. Why have all? Why have all? Why? Why? Why does Apollo and and Hermes and Zeus and all that? Why have they all got little willies? Why is it like Tic Tac willies? Because it's not about. It's not about uh, showy phallic. It's about. Um, did they spend their budget on marble? On like when they did the torso and that, they just spent <laughs> too much of the budget they were given <laughs> on that. They can afford. That's why they've got like quite scrawny legs. Some of them as well. At the very bottom when it gets to the feet, they've got little willies, little feet, <laughs> but like big, massive shoulders. Is is that what it is? No, it's not that okay. at all. Because because many people would say that um, it's because the people that are in charge had little willies and they felt like that that was actually quite big or that they didn't want to make it look like no. 
You no. know, it's like, yeah, yeah, everyone's got the same size, Willy, as what I've got, that kind of thing. No, you've got to remember that most of these statues that were made were not about celebration of um, the the natural form. They are actually, most of them are votives of some description. So it's actually about uh, displaying um, godlyhood as opposed to... Um, a study of the human form so it's an ide idealized picture so if they thought in any way shape or form that a big a big hangy willy was somehow more more attractive they would have done so but this is about perfection well it's all very very symbolic because i think you've kind of touched on on that now because we think of the the roman statues and that as art nowadays and a lot of people think of them as art and a celebration of the human form and life drawing and all that kind of thing yeah. whereas actually there are i suppose representations of principles and gods and that there is deep symbology with the, the poses that you know these um gods and goddesses and that are carved in um the paraphernalia that they have to hand and then the proportions of why they look the way they do so yeah. what what is you it's know... not about direct representation of of the living body it's about an idealized view um of whatever they are trying to symbolize with the piece what are they so... trying to symbolize with the, the small piece then well that's <laughs> up to, that's up to you 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 can decide whatever you want um, well, those, those, those academic um, general consensus in academia that when you've got the Greeks particularly with the fact that it's all about kind of the honour and intelligence and stuff like that and that if you have a large penis then you're basically thinking with that head instead of the other head. So you're basically a slave to your desire. And that as a Greek man, you know, like Zeus or something like that, even though if you read the stories, it's a bit, you know. Yeah, but it was, you know, even in those moments, all most of, um, you know, if you look at Ovid's Metamorphosis, then you're looking at actually all the changes in which that happened in order for those gods to consummate with with humans when they do you know um zeus appeared as a golden rain as a as a, a a swan like you know they they're not it's not graphic sex mm. you know even if you look at scenes of erotica um they're beautiful and idealized yeah there's not you know even when some of these scenes are technically rapes they're not actually depicted as them so it's not like amateur than amateur tab on Pornhub. Exactly. It's not. It's not about. It's not about demeaning um, exploitation or whatever. They are trying to teach it a moral standing, mm. um, and it's that kind of. They're trying to put something which is a a, a non a non linear concept into an artistic form. Um, and therefore, it's not going to be, 
you know, how do you depict those things without being grotesque? Mm, yeah. You know, even it, even take the Gorgon, for example, um, a woman that was made hideous, um, head of, you know, head of, head full of snakes, um, can turn any man to stone. Even in that moment, they're not depicted as monsters. Mm. You know, the, the harpies who would <laughs> rip, rip men apart have got bird feet. You know, like it, it takes that step further from the Egyptians. Yeah. Who are depicting characteristics through animals. Yeah. It's that next development beyond that, which is, um, you know, then using personification to actually um, give over these concepts. So when it comes to the magical practice, because of course it is no holds barred witchcraft and we should probably talk a little bit about magic, I guess, if we have to. Um, when it comes to if you're using idols or um, symbolic reputations of gods and goddesses and that kind of thing, whether it be in the Egyptian and the inner sanctum and the, the little idols of the gods and that kind of thing, or whether it be the Greek statues in temples and stuff, why are in the Greek is it, are they naked? Were would they be dressed in clothes or what? What what's going on there? A bit of both. Um, the problem we've got is those Victorian prudes also really liked the idea of white marble, so most of them will have been uh, were kind of in states of um, where the colour had gone to the point that you were starting to see the the marble again, uh, you know, because they've been fished out of the So ocean they were originally or, painted and so they people originally didn't been realize painted that. with full clothing. Um, and there's some incredible work being done um, on getting those colours back through kind of raking light scans. We, we've seen examples of that. Was it the, um, was it the Ashmolean? Yeah. Ashmolean did Gods in Colour a few years ago. In Oxford. Yeah. So it's that kind of they would have been beautifully painted, which is really strange when you think of, from the art world, we would talk yeah. about uh, all these beautiful techniques of how yeah. the light catches this translucent skin. Yeah. And then think, actually, they were they most likely completely painted. covered in paint. <laughs> yeah. So you talk, you spend, you know, years at university learning about, um, you know, the subtleties <laughs> used in marble and then then you find out that it's then painted on top, mm. which in some ways would have highlighted that, that kind of translucent effect of the marble, then with a coloured yeah. hue, would then probably look lifelike. Well, I think that from from the perspective of when I've, if you've seen statues up close, I think personally that they look better in marble. However, when you're talking about the painted ones that I've seen, like the replicas and that, when you think of how big those statues are and how they'd be quite far away from the person if they're on a building or if they're high up in a temple or something, from a distance, you know, they would look quite lifelike and impressive, you know, from the, the where the plebs are essentially um, seeing them. It's only when you look up close that you can sort of see that the details may be a little bit less impressive than the original, you know, marble. 
you know, and these are these have these would have had uh, gold and copper parts. You know, they would have had uh, you know Artemis or would have her bow and her arrows and a, a quivers quiver full of arrows and they would all be beautifully mm. um adorned their eyes um particularly when it, you get to the roman the roman kind of copies of the greek stuff where they tend to be bronze copies mm. and they put these inlaid gems into their eyes and all yeah. that kind of stuff to in order to take that to a new a new level in a different way i'm working on some skull candles we've put in the um, for some of the spell kits and stuff like that with our little spell um, skull candles putting gems and um, crystals and things like that on and the effects are quite interesting um, but yeah I mean in terms of history and what we are from a historian's perspective and archaeology and all that kind of thing a lot of the time something happens a new discovery is made and everything gets thrown out doesn't it um, how much of history, you know, because you've worked in history at higher levels, um, various museums and things, and on parts of projects, how much of history, you know, do you think we actually do get right from an academic perspective? And how much of it is literally a case of, oh, it's just crap, but the best crap that we can kind of come up with? <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, uh, that it's it tries so hard to be in a science and it, it and therefore needs to be provable mm. and repeatable. And when you are only dealing with fragmentary, um, you know, if, unless you're lucky enough to kind of go to a, a place like Halstatt or, or in Egypt where the colour or, um, in, it has been preserved in the items that you're, you, you're then using. The rest of the world isn't like that. Because those those colours or the organic material is gone, mm -hmm. so all you're left with was is the things that don't rot away, um, mm. or don't tarnish, and because of that, you're only getting a fragmentary, and everything else is hypothesis. Mm. But because in the archaeological record, someone's um, vision quest or um, past life regression is not enough to use as evidence for exactly how something was done. So it's a best approximation that can be made based on what evidence we do have. I think that a lot of practitioners and witches and that, that that we speak to, they're only interested in the practical application. So they don't care that much about what the books say or what this says and that says. They're just trying to utilize and learn from um, knowledge from cultures and things from the past so you know like many witches have said i don't really care as long as it works yeah you know so in terms of what from an artistic perspective and we're moving into the kind of the art and that what when it comes to the practice of utilizing statues and things like that because we have a statuary i mean most of ours are kind of bronzes or resins or you know even wax and that kind of thing but um the practice of actually using a statue to connect with something because a lot of people i'm sure in the witchcraft magical communities have altars and things like that they'll have statues on you can go to 
the Catholic churches and seeing, you know, statues of Jesus and that kind of thing as a focal point. Um, what's the real difference in practice when we have um, statues? And do you think that that's changed, that that changes a lot depending on the culture? Well, it, it definitely does. Um, I don't think it's hard to argue otherwise. Um, you know, with, with the Greeks, it, to a certain extent, and the Romans, you know, they would have both altars at home and then big temples that were communal. Mm. Um, and then the same to a certain extent with the, the Egyptians, they, they've got this kind of idea of creating a home for an entity to exist in. Yeah. So that would be either the statue itself or the temple space. Yeah. These temples were homes of the gods. You create a nice enough home, it mm -hmm. will want to live there. You create a beautiful statue that honours that goddess or god, they will uh, inhabit it when you need them to. Like a doorway um, or a vessel for that energy or that god or goddess exactly. to come through. Um and, you know, you've worked in museums and things like that. Do you get any sense of anything like that being retained in some of these? Because I know that it's a big, I wouldn't say it's a scandal, but I always find it quite amusing to point out that a lot of stuff that can be on display in museums is fake. So it's not original pieces, it's recastings or stuff. You know, that kind of a thing. Have you, had, have you got any stories or ever seen artifacts and stuff like that where you're like well this has got a bit of charge to it <laughs> um i think part of it will always be there on the fact that they're just so awe-inspiring um you know we take things completely out of their context um you know and those are the pieces that we find the most grand it's like you know there is a hot um that is always a, a bowl for contention is is the elgin marbles um, you know, we built an entire replica room <laughs> at the British Museum to house um, the Elgin Marbles, which actually we see at at kind of head height, mm. whereas actually these would have been, you know, 30, 40 feet above your yeah. head. Yeah. Um, you would have never have viewed them except maybe when they were originally put in. Yeah. Um, where a gallery would have been erected for you to actually walk mm. around. Whether or not those continued beyond that, again, because they, if they were, they were made of wood and therefore would not have survived. Um, you know, whether or not that was a permanent fixture as part of that, I don't, I don't know. Um, but the, 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 when you see the Colossi, there's always that sense of awe that is there but it's different because you're not you're not seeing them in their original context so uh, i've had much better experiences when i've gone to visit them in situ yeah than i've had when i've seen them in galleries yes they kind of contain you know um can contain an air of of where they've come from and you know crystal and stone exactly the same holds a certain mm. charge but I don't think there's anything quite like visit, visiting a space that is still in in its original um, original position that holds way more of that original energy. But then there was a reason they were built where they were built. Yeah. The same with churches, modern day churches today. Like 
you know, they're built on spaces that are uh, historically charged. So are you actually experiencing the deity that's coming or just the energy of that space? I mean, if you think about um, the the difference there with a temple complex and, you know, adepts or people with a, a, a fair amount of knowledge that are running the temple complex and how much effort there's put into creating those temple complexes and the technology, magical technology, I suppose, that you'd probably say is probably the best thing that I can way of describing it. And then comparing that to the Wiccan that casts their circle and makes their altar with their nemesis mm -hmm. now resin statue. You know, you can look at some of these altars that are created by neo-pagans and there's definitely something there. Um, but it's normally the difference, I think, in what the use is, what the point is. You know, they match, they match to that level of intent though, don't they? Which is the fact that as Lady Poison would say, it's all about the intention. Yeah. Um, You've lost your trail of thought now, I've haven't you? Of <laughs> um, yeah, we were talking about... So, um, yeah, the intent's there, but obviously they've not put that in, that work in, have they? Which is, you know, it would be a case of these were master craftsmen that were creating these these works of art yes you would attempt it the one that would be at home would either be a you know the master craftsman that you could afford like your level of what was actually available to you or you would make that make that yourself yeah. whereas you know you could go into hundreds of different homes of various kind of modern pagans uh, neo-pagans, whatever you want to call them, and they'd all have exactly the same statues. It's interesting because, of course, in uh, Wicca and that style of witchcraft and all the, the Wiccany books, New Age books, that kind of thing, there's a lot of talk about consecrating objects because they bought objects, whether it's your athame, athame, sword, whatever, and or a plastic statue and then they need to consecrate it is there really a need for consecration if you're creating the tool yourself for that purpose and maybe that's why you don't necessarily have so much consecration rituals and traditions in older forms of magic and witchcraft because you, the whole you are creating that thing for the purpose consecration means nothing compared to when you're actually saying out to make that object for that reason, you're not repurposing something. No, you've put the blood, sweat and tears into the actual process of actually making that. The sacrifice is already there. Yeah. And when you design something for a specific use, the amount of energy that goes into it. I mean, thinking about the um, the magical yarns that you make, because we do, you know, we try to put... Um, the craft back in witchcraft and make sure that things are from these great old and or ancient forms of craft and magic um fusing those together so when it comes to someone that's a great artist or craftsperson then infusing their artwork and their 
projects essentially what they're making with magic as opposed to trying to repurpose something else yeah exactly so in that moment you're infusing that with with the energy of that particular deity or that energy field that you want to uh, enhance that work with is actually already in the item so rather than you know not just wicker but other kind of ceremonial magicians who craft spend all this time crafting these objects um to then need to consecrate on top of that kind of makes it makes no point or no no difference i mean the thing that i find quite interesting is that what's the point in using a tool or something if you have to consecrate it if you're not going to go through the rigmarole of creating it yourself why are you buying that in why not just use something else so for example if you've decided well i quite like an altar over there and i'm going to make a statue to go with it i'll make that statue but if i have to buy in that statue why would i bother to even use a statue because I, I i can kind of see from altar perspectives and things like that and not everyone's a great artist but when it comes to the the stuff that you buy from the shops i suppose that kind of a thing is a case of well why are you buying that crystal because you're told to buy that crystal you know why don't you just go and pick up a rock and use the thing that is easier there seems to be a lot of kind of i don't know you need to use this tool or do that because that's how it's done kind of thing is that kind of the western western heritage i guess of this we um in the western world have got kind of christianity and and before that the the greeks and the romans the celts or um or with this rich history of because that's what most people say we've inherited from the anglo-saxon more than anything else mm. that we don't make it and anything that we don't make ourselves we pillage or take from somewhere <laughs> else um, and which is therefore why um we don't really have <laughs> have the ability to say no if i want it i'm going to get it one way or another yeah, it's interesting. I think from from a magical perspective, I kind of see it as, um, because I think we've touched on before when we've talked about the issue of everyone's trying to go for a certain aesthetic, practice a certain type of witchcraft, a certain type of magic, and there's certain tools and things that go around to doing that. Whereas we don't work like that. We go by, well, what's currently in the room? What's in season? What have we got around us? And how can we use that? Yeah. Whereas other people do the opposite. They think, what do I want to do? Okay, I'm going to need to go and get those tools to do that. Whereas yeah. I think of things as, you know, if you're a chef, you look through your cupboard and you see what ingredients are in the cupboard in the fridge and then you create a meal out of that yeah. a non-cook or a, sorry a cook or not a chef someone that's just used to warming things up thinks well i need to go to the shop and buy a ready meal yeah i need to go and buy this this and this they can't really utilize what they have because they have to think well i know how well, how to make a lasagna so if i'm having lasagna for tea i need to go and get these different things they couldn't create their own dish they have to use something that's already been created already, yeah. already exists 
I suppose, instead of really understanding the ingredients of what's being incorporated into it. But is the difference of that is that um, we don't celebrate those small things anymore. So we take for granted we can just go and buy food. So rather than thinking, oh, I've got to go and hunt that deer and yeah. grow those potatoes um, before I'm going to get eventually that stew after I've foraged for all the herbs that I need. Like, whereas now we just pop to Tesco, the Sainsbury's, it's just another thing on the tick list of things to do in a day rather than actually honouring that moment because you've not had any kind of sacrifice other than, oh, I've had to work (laughs) in order to make enough money to just buy these things. Well, we've gotten super serious and we're right at the end of the podcast now. So can you spend at least a minute maybe talking about the Catholic Church stealing willies and putting them in a willy museum or archive? (laughs) Maybe you can spend the last minute about that. At least tell them how they can Google that. What's what's the story there? You've got a minute. (laughs) Okay, so all you're wanting to talk about is is the the Catholic Church um, and in their prudish behaviour. Uh, cutting all these well knocking off all these woolies <laughs> um off these beautiful statues out of um, or if you're lucky some of them were just covered up with fig leaves most of them were ripped off yeah you know and, um, whereas you know and then uh even worse with the egyptians because those were those were some f- <laughs> phenomenal phallus yeah whereas um, but yeah, it's it's a prudish behaviour of uh, we shouldn't women shouldn't be looking at this. But then, rather than just get rid of them, they have to keep <laughs> everything as the Catholic Church does. Um, you know, they don't just burn all these books or whatever; they just hide them in. Wow, and I can't believe it. I like to end on that, but we're out of time now. <laughs> <laughs>